You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Down at nine, Winston in trouble, wrapped up, down he goes. O'Shane Simonis. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey Grump, what's going on? Uh, a Monday night, just got back from the Square Garden, where, of course, when the mush shows up, the Knicks lose. So I'm a little uh, little annoyed this evening, but we will get through it. We can talk about happy things like the upward trajectory of our New York football giants. Yeah, just real quickly, if you want to blame anything for the Knicks' loss, it's 100% on the cranky fan. Don't blame coaching. Don't don't blame players. Oh, totally. it's, it's all him. They were three for 30-something shooting threes, but, you know, when sitting up in 225, the mush is up there, you know, it doesn't matter. Don't underestimate that power. It, it <laughs> emanates from you from wherever you're sitting. It's fantastic. Um, and, you know, with that, it's it's important to know that there's a potential another road game for the mush to go on for the Giants next year is the, the – League has expanded to 17 games as it was expected, um, and we knew that this was going to come once the TV deal was ironed out. Um, so I, I don't think the TV deal actually affects this year. I think it starts next year, but either way, they're they're moving ahead with the 17th game, which for the Giants is a road game in Miami. My my guess is that you know they've been talking about it for a while, but I think with you know the revenues that were lost last year with COVID having you know, and I, I think, and I haven't researched this because the news came out, you know, very recently. But my guess is, because one team has one less home game, that that extra game becomes like more of a shared revenue type of thing. Is that possible? I don't really know about the revenue flow from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure how they determined. Like, I, I understand that they they add in a game from a you know division that you're not. Playing against right the the out of conference game, but like why did they pick the AFC East for the NFC East and not the AFC South or whatever? Um, maybe maybe travel. Yeah, I'm not really sure what went into making that decision. I just remember when the talks about this were happening, I was like, it's either Miami or something else, and it turned out to be Miami. And I don't know how they decided who got to be the home team and who didn't. I don't know if they flipped a coin. I don't really know that much about it because. You know, all these intricacies well, ultimately don't matter, but yeah, I mean, it, it, probably, I'm assuming in 2022 we'll have an extra home game. Yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering. I guess I guess they just flip everything from year to year. Yeah, um, I guess the other question I have is: Does that mean there'll be one less preseason game or two less preseason? I think games? so. I think I think we're down to two preseason games. Let me look this up real quickly. Well, as a fan. I'm all for that. And as someone who, you know, pays for season tickets, there's nothing worse than having to pay. I know the Giants do a nice job where they kind of made the price different. Like, so the, the, the value of the preseason games are cheaper than the regular season, but it's still a complete waste of money. I, I've been living in the New York area now for 21 years, and I have been to approximately zero preseason games. They're great so, for bringing your mom to. Yeah, well, considering my mom is a thousand miles away and is a Buck fan, that's not really going to do much for me. <laughs> um, I don't know that they have an expected number of preseasons yet, though. Preseason games yet? It's either three or two. I don't think it's been ironed out yet, which is strange okay. because you know we're only a couple months away from that. 
I don't yeah, know. I don't I, know. I mean, I guess. Look, preseason games as a fan um, are worthless. Preseason games as a hardcore fan, where you watch every player and you want to know, you know, maybe this guy is somebody to put on the practice squad or whatever. Is it, worthless. <laughs> it's, it's worthless. Um, well, it's not worthless. If you get enjoyment from it, it's worth something. Uh, yeah. But that's like a TV only thing. I don't need to go to the. First of all, I, I see less at the game than I do on TV because I a can't rewind it and b I'm not, you know, always at an optimal angle, especially if it's at the other end of the field. So going to a preseason game, no matter what it is, unless you just like the atmosphere, the warm weather, and the concessions, there's no reason to go. Um, it's a waste of money. Well, I love going through Secaucus Junction as much as possible, so maybe this year I will go. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's like going to a theme park and not riding any roller coasters, but you actually do that, so. I hate roller coasters, man. <laughs> I, am, I am the pussy fan as much as the cranky fan when it comes to roller coasters. I will sit on the side with all the, the pregnant people and the three-year-olds, so <laughs> no no thanks. Um, but, you know, it does serve a, a huge purpose for the coaching staff. Um and you know what? There's only so much practice time now that's allocated to to actual reps, so they get less of a look there. You know, they the game and certain things are you can do so well in drills, but once the, the the lights are on and you're playing the game, people show up. You know what I mean? And and that's important. There are guys who have made careers out of preseason, and Giants fans should know that Victor Cruz is Victor one of them. Cruz, sure. I mean, without without that preseason game against the Jets. He may have, you know, only had that one training camp with the Giants and never again. You know, we don't know. Without, without preseason, Jason Seahorn's career is a completely different trajectory too. Yeah, and we see so, it I mean, just about every year. There's a guy who earns a starting role from preseason. So, right around right. the league, right. I mean, not but the I think, Giants. I think you can accomplish probably eighty-five, ninety percent of your goals and what you're trying to do in some other you know, scrimmage situation or something where it doesn't involve the fans having to pay for it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, even putting the fans saying their expectation for something for what they see, because how many times have you watched, especially the first preseason game and you hear people bitching about something? Oh, "Oh, this offense is going to suck. This offense is so vanilla. What are we doing? (laughs) This offense is so vanilla. (laughs) Oh, that was, that was the greatest man. When I lived back in Tampa, back in the, in in the nineties and you know, the eighties and nineties, you would listen to this because down there, you know, certain markets treat preseason a lot more than others. Like New York, it's a waste of everyone's time. There's 30,000 people in the Meadowlands. But in places like Tampa, in Green Bay, in you know Jacksonville, they'll get 60,000, 70,000 things. It's a big deal. And you listen to sports radio the following Monday. Oh, my God. Sam White is the worst coach. I mean, that was such a vanilla. If we're going to run that offense in the regular season – we're going to win four games, and that would be the host of sports radio. Never mind the callers. That'd be, so it's just really silly. Um, I again, if, but if you're not having to watch it, you know you're not going to get these false expectations, positive or negative. It's just sort of happening. Like we don't have it in college. I don't know. I I, I just think it's a it's a they rake. The, the the season ticket holders over the coals with the cost of everything everywhere from the the PSLs to the cost of tickets to the cost of a beer to parking all that stuff I don't think we should have to pay to watch which basically you know practice you're watching practice 
We're talking about practice. <laughs> and you know something? Like when we watch basketball and somebody hits a bank shot and somebody always says, they didn't call it. Every time somebody says the word practice, everybody Pavlovian has to say, we're talking about practice. Oh, well, I mean, that one is, that's such a great quote. I, I, I love that. I want to say it was just recently, like, was the 20th or 25th anniversary of that, too. Of that interview? A, well, that was uh, like, oh, this is this is off the rails, but it was something like he was dealing with, like, the death of a close friend or something, and then, like, went to a press conference and was getting railed for not having shown up to practice and then having a bad game or something. So, some, it was something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know. And that, that's such a classic response where, like, he could have been a lot meaner about it knowing all of that. Well, I mean, the best thing—the best thing—is if you just read the transcript of it without, like, reading it in a normal voice. It's 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 fantastic. I mean, it's right up there with the the Jim Moore, you know, one, the uh, the late great Dennis Green, without crowding their ass. I mean, there's you know anything Tommy Lasorda did, you know, just beautiful poetry that's uh, <laughs> in press conferences. Um. Well, whatever. Speaking of press conferences, big, bigger, giant-centric news. Today, Monday, the Giants brought in for a visit Danny Shelton, formerly of the Detroit Lions and Cleveland Browns, and former first-round pick out of Washington Huskies, I believe. Um, Yes, Washington Huskies. Um, And he didn't leave without signing a contract. So he is on a one-year deal. New defensive lineman, Danny Shelton. Um, I mean, outside of being a former first-round pick, Things to know about him that are important. Uh, 6'2", 345 pounds. He he is a very large human being. Um, He's pretty much your zero or one technique. He's your nose tackle. Big time run stuffer. And passing downs, he will walk centers backwards. Uh, But he's mostly a two-down lineman. He is 27 years old. He is the same age and same position as Dalvin Tomlinson with a little bit less pass rush and a little bit more run stuff. Um... And he will join a defensive line rotation now that includes first-round pick Dexter Lawrence, top-ten pick Leonard Williams, Austin Johnson, Efedi Odenegbo, B.J. Hill, R.J. McIntosh, the list goes on. This is becoming a strength again. We were really worried about what this defensive line was going to be with both Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson on the market, and I am worried no longer. Well, that's why you should not freak out about every single free agent signing that happens in every roster cut as they happen. Wait before it's done in totality, before you breathe and you make your assessments. I mean, you notice we haven't mentioned one time yet. What do we think the record will be? You know, we're waiting till after the draft, after the non-drafted signings and get in the camp because you just don't know. I mean, everyone for months and months and months was worried about losing one or two of those interior defensive linemen. And guess what? All the freaking out we did all of a sudden just went away. So it's really, I, I understand that the, the wanting to have the lynch mob out for Gettleman because, you know, we lose a player, but, Hold your horses until it's all over. And something like this is an example. And Danny Shelton is, you know, that's a wash right now, you know, for from Thomason. He's a bigger guy. I mean, the strength of this defense last year, really, if everything else, was the ability to stop the run. 
And we've just, like you said, we are back to making that a strength right now. And stopping the run helps your helps the pass rush, helps the secondary because it's no longer second and three every time or third and one. It's second and eight. It's third and seven. That changes things a little bit. So, I mean, that's when you when you start rattling off because not that much of a pass rusher is more of a run blocker. That's fine with me. I mean, that's a pass rush. You get up the middle like that is a bonus to me. You know, you you generate a pass rush from other different ways. His job is to be a rock up the middle, be a big body, stop the run. And I'm I'm, I'm again when you think we're over making these type of you know. Moves, not moves on the margins, but moves that will make a difference. We pull another one out of our ass. So, good job. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a one-year deal. A lot of these guys, Austin Johnson's a two-year deal, but Oda Nagbo is a one-year deal. Um, you know, this is recreating Dalvin Thompson in the aggregate. This is this is a stopgap solution for this year, probably. I mean, uh, it's a little nebulous because of the cap situation this year. A lot of things have to be done. You know, they're taking a flyer on him. They got him on a one-year deal, probably for the cheap. I don't believe any of the numbers have come out yet, but you know, he was injured last year. He he injured his triceps. He went in for the medical, I assume, and he passed. I also assume. Um, you know, this isn't a uh, this isn't a solution for the next decade or anything like that. But this is shoring up a missing piece and doing a pretty good job of it. Here's um, my here's my philosophy, Grump. You need to build a culture of winning to get players and get people to stay. And even if this is a one-year deal and there's a, a collection of one-year deals right now, this roster, it's not complete yet because we still have a draft and we still have non-drafted free agents and we still have whatever – is better than it was last year. There's a greater chance this team is going to win, which means there's a greater chance that, you know, free agents will give the Giants a look where they didn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, We're already seeing things, that. Yeah. These guys, you know, money comes first. It will always come first. But when all things considered equal and Team A and Team B can offer the same amount of money, Team A that is, per, you know, always five and 11, six and 10 is probably going to lose out to the team. That's nine and seven, 10 and six. Uh, you know, look at the bucks this year. They won a super bowl and everybody came back. <laughs> you know, do you think they, you know, think all these guys, cause they kind of went for it. If, if they flamed out this year, you think that Gronkowski comes back and all these guys, probably not. So you have to develop winning and they're doing it the smart way. They're not chasing all eggs in one basket just to win right now. They are making moves on the margins that are making this team better and making them palatable for free agents, their own and other ones, you know, to, uh, to want to come here. So, you know, may not be the sexiest moves. It makes the team better, a better chance to win now, which will start that snowball effect of making this team better in the future, making it more that uh, free agents will give them a look. And you know, I I know that um, I know that we talk a lot about. Um, you mentioned stopping the run and how it's important to stopping the pass, and and I understand that it's a passing league, and I'm not I'm not downplaying that and saying that you have to play the run first or anything like that. I I think it's important that you stop both. You stop offenses, right? But first and foremost, I think when you're building a team now, 
You need to build a team that is going to win against your division rivals. And when I look around this division, I see in Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts as quarterback, I guess, um, along with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott at running back. Who am I more afraid of? The running backs. I look in Washington, I see Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick at running back. I'm more afraid of the running backs there. Dallas is the only one that you can really argue, and Dak Prescott relies on the run a lot and also is a bit of a moving quarterback as well. But it's still Ezekiel Elliott that I'm more afraid of than Dak Prescott. Overall, I need to formulate my roster to win those six games first and foremost, not the rest of the league, which changes every single season. The easiest path to making the playoffs every year is winning your division. And especially when you're in this shitty NFC East, where it's probably your only path to making the playoffs. And we were a short hair away from winning the division last year with a pretty poor overall roster and, you know, a variety of injuries and things not going our way. So you're, you're 100 and, 50% 50% correct that you have to. And also, those are the teams you play the most. Yeah. I mean, every year you play it six times. Those are six games six, every year. That's, you know, six in the 17. I'm no math major. That's that's almost a third of your schedule right there. It's just those three teams. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and to be perfectly clear, I'm not saying you have to build your. I'm saying if you were to build your edge rushers first, you'd be putting yourself at a disadvantage in your division. You know, building building your run defense first because it's your division thing is probably the smarter path. I'm not prioritizing one over the other based on football philosophy or anything like that. And you can't worry about, you know, I mean, the Giants are still a ways to go. But if you're a team like, I don't know, Green Bay, you're not building your team to see, well, what can I do against Tampa Bay? Because, you know, it's likely that's who the teams would be there, you know, in that final weekend of the season before the Super Bowl. But you can't guarantee that. You can guarantee you are playing your division rivals six times. So you know, it's you have you kind of look and see what you know the other teams. But you you build you build first what you think are your deficiencies, and then you build towards what will win against the te- your common opponents and who you play for most. And then then you worry about it when you get down to it because you know. Who knows what happens from you know, May, June, July to January. It's, it's something that I assure you GMs aren't thinking about when they're roster building. Yeah, and, and lost in all that, all three of those NFC East teams, when healthy, are three of the best offensive lines in the country. Right? I mean, Washington's lagging a little bit, but when Philadelphia is healthy – you know they were really unhealthy last year. They had a stroke of bad luck right from the get-go in camp. Um, so that's a bit of an anomaly. But you know they were they're they're pretty set up well. Um, uh, Washington's pretty pretty darn good. Uh, Dallas is obviously very good. Well, is, I, I, they're coming is on Dallas there. is Dallas still what we think of from three years ago as good as their offensive line? Well, they, again, last year is where it started to fall off a cliff. Tyron Smith, uh, second year with big injury. Travis Frederick retired very suddenly. Um, you can make the case now that they're falling off, but they're still very good. Yeah. Um, same thing with Philadelphia. I mean, they were set up for a good, you know, good offensive. They, they, they really were not as bad as they were last year. I like to clown on them because it's Philadelphia, but I mean, there's mistakes all over with how Carson Wentz was handled and, and Jalen. All of that, I agree, terribly run, but. 
Their offense was not set up to be as bad as it was last year. They just hit a stroke of injuries all along the offensive line. And when that happens, you're off to a almost an impossible to to return from spot. Agreed. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think I think these are three of the better offensive lines in the country. Dallas is is not where it was three years ago, but still formidable. That said, the defensive line for the Giants is set up to handle the run very well. Where most Giants fans are ready for improvement and where, you know, I think is really the only lacking spot on the defense right now is edge rusher. We look at the current roster and you have former third-round pick Lorenzo Carter, former fourth-round pick O'Shane Ziminis, Ryan Anderson, newly acquired from Washington, Oh, excuse me, and then some late-round picks with Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown. Um, not a whole lot of star power right there. A lot of complimentary guys. A lot of guys. If you had, you know, if you had a Chase Young on one side, you'd be like, "Oh, this is nice to have these guys as compliment." But they're not, you know, they're not the the, the, the you know the the basis for a consistent solid pass rush. Yeah, and. Um... Today was the Miami Pro Day, so three guys right off the bat that everyone had their eyes on. You know, there was a lot of a lot of anticipation for Gregory Rousseau. Rousseau played in 2019. He looked very good for a young kid, um, and, but then he opts out for 2020, which is you know whatever. I'm not passing any judgment for that, but really wanted to see where his next step was going to be, and that didn't happen. And now he's entering the draft, so that's all we've got. For him is 2019, so there was a lot of anticipation for his pro day, and it was whatever. I mean, it was it was just a whatever pro day, which, by the way, I put very little stock into anyway. But I mean, it, I guess it's important to see that he's still in shape from a whole year ago. Um, I think I think if a GM likes you, it's just to validate what they're looking for. I don't think I don't think massive opinions are swayed from pro days unless they shouldn't they, be. I'll unless say they that. come up as Unless they come up as like a complete moron when they're having their interviews and just come, you know. Oh, I think yeah. pro days and combine stuff, generally speaking, hurt more than they help. There are some rare exceptions where guys like Aaron Donald. I mean, and it's not just that. It's like, you know, he had a really good senior bowl. Um, he had the whole great week of practice senior bowl. Then he capped it off with a really good combine and he aced his interviews. I mean, there are times where it does help when it's these guys on an upswing, they come from basically nowhere. There's not, you know, a ton of film against quality opponents or, or whatever, then it can help. But for the most part, anybody in a power five school with plenty of film, all it's really going to do is hurt or keep you the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, and Gregory Rousseau, you know, I'm I'm not really wowed by him. I know that he's up for a lot of people the top edge rusher on the board. If we were running a strictly four three or a mostly four three defense, I would feel a lot more comfortable with him. You know, he's used all over the defensive line, but really in a four three, he didn't stand up a whole lot. You know, he's got good hand. He's good. He's very good. I don't want to like shit all over him, but you know, when you look at his pressures and, and it's sacks and stuff like that. It's odd because most of them come from the very interior of the line. Most of them come from, you know, the, the two two gap all the way to the zero. 
um, which is strange, but most of what Miami does baffles me anyway. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, he's a dude with ideal size. He shouldn't be ruled out just because, you know, it was two years ago and, uh, you know, I am not totally wowed by him. He's 6'6", 255, 260, something like that. He runs pretty fast, about a 4'6", It's fast as hell. Um, you know, it, it just, for me, I would have liked to have seen a lot more on film. And, you know, and there's not a whole lot there for me. Um, the other two Miami guys, I like a little bit more, not quite at 11, though. Jalen Phillips, who was a transfer from UCLA or... I don't know if you'd really call him a transfer. Um, he checks out for me. I mean, if if you if we were basing just on the film, I would be okay with Phillips at eleven. The problem is is that Jalen Phillips has a very checkered medical history to the point where at UCLA doctors told him to stop after a severe concussion, and he ended his school career and started started at a community college before he decided to go to Miami and uh, do his senior year, I think. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But his last year at Miami, where he played perfectly, I don't believe he had any injury issues. He's really fast. He's got the great size for the position at 6'5", 260. You know, he's got excellent speed. He has good hand-fighting skills, good bend, good closing speed. He's got some decent repertoire of pass rush moves, especially a good swim move. He, he'd be perfect if it were just for the film, but the medical really worries me. It really worries me when doctors tell you after a concussion that you should stop. Um, I don't really know what to make of that, personally. That, to me, is, you know, there are so many guys out there, whether it's this draft, next draft, free agency, trades, you know, Giants, you know, they've had a nice offseason. They're doing a nice job building, but we're still rebuilding, and we can't afford to whiff when there are so many red flags out there. I mean, this fan base was going crazy for uh, John Dre Baker. It's like, why didn't you see the red flags for a situation where there were no red flags? So this one, there are notable red flags. I don't think we're in that position to be needing to take these risks. So I, I just, uh, there's somebody out there who's better. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think I agree with you completely. I think I would rather not even draft an edge rusher at all than, take a chance. This team is not in a position to take any chances. Whoever it is that they decide to pick, they need to be 100% sure of. I mean, that's when you're a rebuilding team, that's more important than finding a need. I would rather get three left tackles because you're sure of them than just start grabbing guys because they're the best at the position even if you have reservations about them. That doesn't help anybody when you do that. You just get a mediocre roster. Just because they're the best at the position may not be the best guy on your board for overall football player because you are drafting football players first need and position second. Absolutely. Um, you know, Quincy Roche is the other guy. He's a little bit later on for me. You know, he doesn't have the ideal position, the, the height. He's six, two. It's a little, little short. Um, he's good though. I mean, he's disruptive, not often splashy, good motor, good pursuit, plays disciplined. Um, you know, he's got good speed as well. I like Quincy Roche if we're not talking in the top heavy, maybe like round three or something like that. Um, I haven't quite placed a grade on him. It's a little strange, but, you know, I think when I'm looking at this class right now, I don't think there's a single guy at 11 at the edge position unless you want to count Micah Parsons in that because he's a little bit inside outside. Um, I don't think I like any of these guys at 11. I know a lot of people connect Michigan 
and uh, Quiddy Pay there. I I don't. It's not that I don't see it. He's he's good, but he's he's strong. He's got good short area quickness. He keeps his feet moving. He's got he's he's really good with his hands. My biggest problem is that he consistently fails to get it, to extend his arms early, which allows linemen to get their hands on his chest. And while he can fight through it, it completely derails his pass rush. Completely. I mean, it really slows him down. It's like a whole extra second and a half, two seconds to his pass rush. Even if he's strong enough to fight through it, um, it just uh, it, it turns him invisible at times. And at 11, I don't want anyone that turns invisible in college. Um, is there anybody then, I guess that the question is, do you think the Giants are looking at edge rushers so much that they would be willing to trade down to get a guy they can get like at 17 or 18 and pick up another draft pick somewhere is it that much of a priority you you think i think well first of all if you trade down remember you are not only getting a lower draft pick you're getting an additional draft pick and with a team that only has six this year i think that's absolutely on the table and the guy i would then be looking at would be aziz Ojulari from georgia um, six three great speed off the edge he looks comfortable in coverage which is something that most of these guys aren't used for so I'd hard to find any film of that uh, but Georgia runs a very pro defense I would say yeah yeah well the other thing too is that if you're trading down from you know down to like 17 18 you don't have to pay that pick as much so if you're if we're thinking about how do we stretch out as much cap as we can that's another way to save you know a couple that's, hundred thousand yeah, dollars maybe. yeah from a financial standpoint it's absolutely true uh, but then again, you're getting another pick, so you're play- paying another player. It probably mm-hmm. evens out. Or if you you know you could always take that that pick could also always be you know a 2022 pick. Also, it doesn't have to be that's, this year. That's true. That's true as well. Um, some other guys that I, I I like. Well, another guy that's connected to them because of the the pro day and the attendance by Giant Staff is uh, Penn State Jason Owe Owe. I don't know. Whatever. Um, I, this is another guy where I see all the traits, but I invisible on the field. I mean, the 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 one game that I watched from start to finish, I don't think he even hit the stat sheet. Um, and I think that was against Ohio State. I mean, I understand that that's Ohio State. You're talking about a top four team in the nation there, but mm, I not a tackle, and maybe one tackle. I'm not sure. I don't like it, and he, he consistently didn't really show up on the stat sheet much. He, very, very often invisible. Even though he has all the traits that you want to develop, whatever. I understand the like, the likeness for him, but I would be pretty upset with that if that's an early pick. Even in the second round, I'd be pretty worried about that. The guy I do like in the second round, or maybe third, is Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh. He's not as quick or fast as the other guys, but he's definitely he's already NFL strong. I mean, I literally watch him just on every single play throws blockers out of his way. That's pretty good. Consistently gets his hands up in passing lanes, keeps his head up to stay in the play even when he's being blocked. He's not overly aggressive, which is what makes him slower, like game speed slower than track speed, I guess. Um, He takes his time making decisions, which is always the correct decision, but sometimes is a step too late. Often is a step too late, but... Something that maybe he can work on. You know, also playing Pitt. I, I, Pitt had a pretty decent defense this year. Pretty decent team. But it's not the same thing as playing with the all-star talent that will be around him in the NFL. Right. They're kind of a mid-tier ACC team. And the ACC is getting better. But it's still, you know, you look at their, you know, average recruiting rankings. You know, they are not 
in the same universe as Clemson or even Florida State. They are, you know, recruiting in the 30s to 40s, so they're getting kind of average talent potential coming to that school. Yeah, you tend to see the the rise and fall of the other ACC teams outside of Clemson and Florida State. You know, you'll see Pitt will have a good team for maybe two years and then vanish. Same thing with like Virginia. It feels because like. They- Right, they're, they're they're the teams that have you know if you look at their roster, it's like well they had you know eighteen returning lettermen last year and you know very upperclassmen heavy, and then all of a sudden when all those guys leave, all of a sudden the next year they are you know six and six, right, and they're starting over again. They don't have that. They are not consistently just reloading, and they're not that that bar of who they're getting isn't as high as you know. I mean, Clemson's in its own universe in the ACC, but like, let's say the Florida State level of recruiting, they're not there. Um, you know, I watched a bunch of guys, uh, and I started looking further and further down the list because you know when you start getting to rounds, even round four, but mostly five through seven. You're looking at the best player you can get, and you know hopefully they play specials for a year or something on your starting roster, and then you you develop them to be in the rotation later on. Um, and there was one dude that I don't think is on a lot of people's radars. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think if you get this dude and stash him in a fucking weight room for a year, you'd be doing yourself a service. Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa. This dude's tape is excellent. And I, you know, obviously, grain of salt, Northern Iowa, and the competition that they face. But you know, they face North Dakota, North Dakota State. But six seven, six foot seven inches, about two hundred forty pounds. So he needs about ten to fifteen pounds of muscle. You know, and you and you got to remember something. When people go to schools like that, there's usually a reason. Yeah, you know, it's it, it could be either grades, it could be just new to the sport. Something- some people play at this remote high schools where they just aren't part of the recruiting, you know, circuit where, you know, and, you know, they just some guys just fall through the cracks. And also you throw in a body that may be a little undersized where, you know, college coaches are going in with their tape measures and their, you know, you know, how big are the guys pectorals? Is that going to make does that really mean you are going to grade out as a future you know, starter in D1? So, you know, don't poo poo just because where a guy came from and, you know. You haven't seen them every, you know, because a lot of, a lot of, and especially in this day and age now where, you know, players themselves and schools are so into self-promotion, you know, through social media and it's just the word gets out and guys that don't are in the hinterlands playing does not mean they're not worthy NFL, NFL talent level, you know, with a little, you know, upgrade in nutrition, in a weight program, coaching, all of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Throw on this dude's tape one day and, and, and just sit back and enjoy the show because, you know, like I said, he's very light. And I I, I um, accept the fact that he needs to add some strength all over because 240 pounds isn't bad for the position. But at 6'7", that means that he's very lean. You know, that's that's like – that's two inches taller than I would say is ideal length and it's already about 10 pounds light for 6'5". In my opinion, he should be around 250. Um, so he should probably be around 255. Um, but some of that also needs to be bulk. But anyway, he is so fast off the edge. He is lightning. And he uses that burst 
to just completely bounce off of blockers. He just runs full force into them, throws them back, and then redirects so that he can he can make his way to the quarterback. He is absolutely, for 6'7", the greatest bend I've seen around the outside. He has great closing speed. And most importantly, he hits aggressively. He hits with authority. He is a sure tackler. He's not a throw-a-shoulder-into-you guy. You know, he grabs and does not release. And he's... One of the other things that, like, you know, we can look at stat sheets and, and stuff like that, but one of the things about film that's so, uh, I, I guess, overlooked is that you can see things just like the fact that he's always around the quarterback. He may not register a pressure, he may not register a hit or a sack, but he's just always there. He's always in the backfield, he's always making a play or throwing things off or screwing things up. This is a dude that I would absolutely take a flyer on in the middle rounds. And, you know, maybe he makes the roster, maybe, maybe you know, he it's a practice squad, whatever. Um, but if if you put him in a weight room and gave him a nice NFL nutrition and an NFL um, workout, I think in a year you've got yourself a rotational guy and possibly better. Um, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, that was my, my diamond in the rough find out of all this work that I did. Ah. Bookmark this little section and come back in, uh, you know, next month. <laughs> and then again in a year, um, we look back and see if I was actually smarter, if this dude's actually just a bust. But you know, I, I think I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, it's unfortunate because I know Giants fans want this to be a top end thing because it's the biggest need on defense, right? It just. You can't force these things. It's a. It's not a good year for top end edge talent, and you can blame that problem on prior drafts, and that's fine. But it doesn't change anything about right now. So yeah, we're not crying over spilt milk anymore. We have to move forward. Yeah, and and Giants fans should be happy about the the roster they have, particularly on defense. You know, the addition of Adoree Jackson alone does so much for this pass rush. Just having a second cornerback that is that good at keeping coverage means turnovers and it means sacks. So should you should have felt pretty good about this defense uh you know last year even sure. just the the strides it made. I mean, coaching alone, never mind the upgrade in you know the slow but sure upgrade in talent, the coaching alone was infinitely better. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and you know, they made a very concerted heavy paycheck effort to keep that coach around. Um, for how long, now, we don't know. Yeah, he just beat me to it. I'll say, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't count on being here for the next 10 years, especially if, the, if we continue this trajectory up with the defense. But while he's here and, you know, I always find that when you have a new head coach, as long as you can keep that staff initially as long as possible, if it's one extra year, it just helps build that culture and build what you want to do. And the fact that, you know, I know there's a lot of Jason Garrett detractors out there as much as people love Patrick Graham, but everybody's back. And we, the continuity continues. And now there's a real off season. And nobody, you know, nobody wants to admit, whether whatever sport it was, whether it's baseball, or the NFL, or basketball. Not having an offseason in these sports, it was obvious as you're watching that teams weren't as good as they normally are and they weren't doing things that they normally would want to do because they did not have the time. That's why we have spring football. That's why we have OTAs. That's why we have 
you know, training camp and spring training and all these things is because to prepare for the season physically and mentally. When you don't have it, you're going to see ragged play and mental mistakes. And, you know, and the Giants were, you know, a great example of that last year where, you know, people are going to bitch about Daniel Jones not getting the offense or doing something. It's like, what would happen if he had a whole offseason with a new coaching staff, you, you, you know, and get a chance to continuously throw to his receivers and, and all these different things. So this year, I mean, that excuse is kind of gone. You're finally going to get everyone together from day one. It's, you know, same terminology from last year, same coaching staff. You know, they're plugging in some players, but that happens every year. I think you're going to see a cleaner playing, you know, not only by the Giants, but the entire league. I think you're just going to see better football overall next year from what we saw this past year. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, that was especially evident in the early weeks of last year. But, you know, at a certain point, it's too late to to um, to to get ready. <laughs> Sometimes you just you have to be ready. So, you know, this is a new year. You got a whole year in the system for both defense and offense. New guys that came in is an influx of talent. I think there's a lot to be excited about. I'm just not excited about this edge class. Not in the, not in the upper on the in the upper decks there for pick 11. I wouldn't get my hopes up at pick 11 for anything. Right. I know you're clamoring for it, but you know, they're not going to take just because they're going to take. They're going to take the they're going to take the highest guy on their board, the best football player that they, you know, they're looking at and there is no despite of what you people think, you anti-Gettleman people out there, there is no deadline to you know this roster better be complete by 2021 or bust. This is, you know, a continual upgrading process that never ends. Yeah, and if we're, we're going to get into that. Let me tell you, when we talk about wide receivers and pick 11, we have a long conversation about that. Mm. All I will say to that is I know he's not a, a wide receiver, but I already have my order on standby on NFL.com of the jersey I'll be buying on draft night. Yeah, I... I I already know what it is. It's it's um it ain't gonna be there probably, but if he is <laughs> it's done. Well, that is a great cliffhanger for next episode. I know we said we were gonna do tight ends yeah, this episode. Some, but... cliff, some cliffhanger if anybody knows <laughs> us. I mean it's the worst kept secret ever then but please Um I know, I know we said we were going to do tight ends, but there were so many edge guys. It was so important that I actually give all of them the time of day and and really do thorough work. Um, that I, I just I didn't have time to do all the tight ends as well, so I got started on that. I didn't get to finish, so that will definitely be our next episode. Um, our breakdown on the tight end class and um, you know and and the current roster. Grump, we have plenty of time to discuss that. We still have another what month before the draft? Just about. It's, well, it's coming down there. So we're in we're in April officially. Um, not by the time that this episode comes out, but by the end of the week. So it'll feel like it as long as this episode's going, but no. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we we still have some position groups to cover. We still have some needs to cover. We'll still, you know, we'll have a state of the roster again. We'll have all these different things. So we will definitely we will cover all the scenarios of who's available, who we think they'll take. That'll be a fun episode. Our our as close as we get to a mock draft, but. Yeah, what we what we see is our biggest needs, our uh, ongoing, you know, personal thing. If who do we take? What's our one to five? And we'll we'll discuss that as we kind of get into uh, 
an exciting draft time where we're not just like staring into the abyss of picking players and well, it's not going to help anything this year. Now it's now we're starting to build towards something. And, you know, I'm 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 getting excited when we do our, you know, our way too early, you know, schedule predictions, even though we don't have a schedule yet of, you know, I, I think I'm going to feel a little more optimistic than I did last year. Yeah, I do, too. And, and for the record, for for newer listeners that were not around last draft um, I nailed the Andrew Thomas pick. Just saying. What? Well, that was a real bold one, Glorimp. Hey, there is a lot of debate about which tackle was the best, so I, been, I don't want to hear that. I would have been impressed if you would have nailed the Daniel Jones pick. Yeah, but, I did not nail that one. Yeah, that would, I don't that remember would been, what I had lined up. I think I think it was hoping for Josh Allen. I don't remember. I can't remember. I don't remember. I, one last thing. You know the Barkley year. Did you? No, I did not pick Barkley. I had I had us penciled in for uh, Darnold. Did you pre- did you predict or want two different things? Did you want did you want Barkley at the time, or and did you predict a draft Barkley? Um, I don't think either. I I um I was pretty low on taking a running back that high. I wanted Barkley in the team, but at two I. I did not want. I, I I was for Sam Darnold, which I think at this point uh, it was not much better um, in terms of what the fan reaction would be at this point. Um, actually, it's definitely worse. I had a feeling. I don't know if I predicted it, but I had a very strong feeling they were going Barkley. You know, we were uh, <laughs> we're like the uh, guy who can't you know just look at him. You could tell he's lying just by his face. I mean, that's kind of. <clears throat> the yeah. smoke signals we gave about it was that was a pretty strong hint. I, you know, at the time probably wouldn't have taken Barkley, but you know, what's done is done. Sure, it's over. It is what it is. And I, I have no problem with him being on the team. Period. I mean, what he's, was given up for him the, is irrelevant at this point. He's on the team now. I mean, he's an asset that you know, if he's if he's healthy, is a very dangerous asset. And as we build more weapons around him for Daniel Jones and better pass protection for him and run blocking for him. He becomes, you know, he becomes a real dangerous weapon who could really make a difference in on this team in the league. But, you know, at the time where there were so many needs and it's just like, all right, you can't really even to, utilize it's a little early to do that, but, yeah. but what's done is done. He's on the team now and we just hope he gets better and re- regains that form that we saw in the beginning of his career. Yep. And with that, we will catch you guys next week. In the interim, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Catch me as always at the cranky fan. And uh, as always, this show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Podbean. Uh, did I say SoundCloud already? I don't know. Google Play. Yeah. It's it's everywhere. Yes. It's everywhere. Say it again. Yeah. Say it again. SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud. Um, I heard sure also. It's- I heard it's on SoundCloud too, so go in there. It is, in fact, on SoundCloud as well. Basically, at this point, you really should be subscribing, so we don't have to give you, you know, this where to get it. If you found it, thank you for finding it, and go ahead and subscribe. So that's one less thing in this topsy turvy, crazy world of things you have to worry about every day. You know, it's hard episode. Easy to tell. Is it already in your queue, ready to listen to? Yes. Hey, man, you wake up in the morning, you see these two mugs at the top of your lists. You know. There it is, you know. <laughs> Once you get over the initial scaring of seeing the faces, you know, take a listen. You know, Grump has good things to say. I, I, you know, I, at least I'm not dead air. I say things, so you know, <laughs> go, go check it out. All right, everyone. We will see you next week. Go, go Giants. Giants.